Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be honest, I drank all my caffeine already today, so I am like a little amped, and it's possible we will get out of here really fast, because if I talk twice as fast as normal, yeah, see, I know, there's a benefit to me over-caffeinating. So we are finishing, as Tom mentioned in his, his video there, we're finishing out this uh, series on Galatians, the gospel of Jesus, and I'm, I've, I've really been enjoying this series. Honestly, I don't know how, about you guys, but it's been very good for me, very um, just transformational. And so I'm going to, I know Tom did a recap last week, but for anyone who might be here and missed the other weeks, I'm just going to go really quickly through the first three weeks that we've talked about. Um, so the first week, Tom talked about the gospel being under attack under attack. And if you remember, um, basically, um, Paul was writing this letter and explaining how um, Christianity grew out of Judaism, right? But initially, when Jesus came and he died for us and, and he um, called us to follow him, many people who were believers in Jesus um, came from that Jewish tradition. And, and, and Paul was seeing that some of the human traditions um, were, were being leached into um, Christianity. And so people were saying, okay, you've got to believe in Jesus, but you've also got to do these, like, a bunch of other things. And so it was legalism. And Paul said, this is not what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing, right? We don't, we don't add anything to Jesus because Jesus plus nothing is everything. And part of why that matters to Paul and it should matter to us is because when we add things to Jesus, when we add things to the gospel that don't need to be there, we create obstacles for people to experience the gospel. Obstacles that, that God did not intend. It's almost like we're adding fine print to the gospel. Um, I, do, I believe the gospel was never meant to be exclusive. Jesus died for everyone, period, right? Anyone who comes to him, anyone who accepts him. And so we shouldn't make it exclusive either. And then in week two, we said, okay, if this week one was maybe about what the gospel isn't. We don't add on to it. We said in week two, what is the essence of the gospel? And here we, we learned about Paul traveling to see the apostles, the others who were teaching and preaching the word of God. And he met with Peter and James and John, and they confirmed that the message that he was preaching was the same gospel that they were preaching. And they just, uh, again, kind of we talked about how Peter decided, I'm going to go and talk to the Jewish people and tell them about Jesus. And Paul was going to go and talk to the Gentiles. And those were two different kinds of darkness that they were being sent into. And so the way that they presented that gospel might look a little different, but it was the same gospel. And the essence of the gospel is that Christ died for us, died for our sins, that he covered all that, so that when we stand before God, it's not in this courtroom of judgment, it's this courtroom of adoption where God says, you are my children, I've adopted you, I love you. And he justifies us freely so that we have the righteousness of Christ that is transferred to us when we believe in God. And Paul said, and then we could boil the gospel down to maybe this phrase, Christ lives in me. That is, that's the essence of what the gospel is. And then last week, week three, Paul, I'm sorry, Tom talked about um, the promise of the gospel. What is the promise of the gospel? And Tom listed out some things. And I'm going to be honest, he started listing them out, and it, it sounded a little to me like a country music song. 
I don't know about you guys, he said it was freedom and family, and I was half expecting the next ones to be like a pickup truck and a dog, but that was not what he said. He said, um, we have, in, through the gospel, through Jesus, we have freedom, right? Freedom from sin, freedom, we're not under the law anymore, we're under grace, we're adopted into this family, we belong, we are heirs with Christ we are also given the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk a little bit more about today. And the Spirit lives with us and dwells with us and leads us. And then we also have this promise of equality because there's that verse that uh, Tom shared that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And so perhaps maybe one of the offensive things about the gospel is that it's this equalizer. So Tom talked about the promises of the gospel, and today, week four, we're going to be looking mostly at Galatians 5 and a little bit at Galatians 6, and we're talking about the gospel lived out. Like, basically, what does this mean for our lives? We've, we've talked about all these things, and maybe they sound great, but what does it mean? How does it change our everyday experience? So, again, first we're going to see what the gospel is, should not look like lived out. We're going to start in Galatians 5.13 if you want to follow along. And in this verse we see Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, notice he includes everyone here, you brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. Reiterate what Tom said last week. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. So again, we're in this passage we're going to see over and over, Paul's going to keep contrasting the flesh and the spirit. And the flesh in this case is basically like that sinful nature that our, our natural selfish inclinations that, that we all struggle with. Um, and so the things that we want are often in opposition to what God wants or what the spirit wants. And so what Paul is saying here is, listen, you, you're free. You're not under the law. You're not justified by the law. But, and this is a big but, do not use your freedom as this free pass to just keep doing whatever you want, okay? Like, if you are caught speeding and the police officer pulls you over and you roll down that window, I certainly hope you don't say, you know what, officer, no, 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 it's okay because I have the righteousness of Christ, so <laughs> I, don't, I don't need that ticket, I'm fine. No, we can't, we can't just keep living and doing whatever we want without, without um, thinking about what God wants, Right? It's not like a get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly. Not only, not only if we live that way, if we believe in God and we t accept his grace and then we keep living how we want, not only does it intentionally take advantage of God's grace, but it actually radically diminishes the power of the freedom that God wants to give us. God wants to give us freedom from sin, freedom from those things that are waging against us. And we have to lean into him and lean into what he wants and the other thing is, as we're going to talk about today, part of what it means to have the gospel lived out is that God has called us out of darkness for a reason. He's called us out of darkness to become a light to others. And so when we have the light of Christ in us, we are not meant to, to continue doing what we want, but to go out into the darkness and be that light to a world that needs it. So Paul, again, is saying here, he's not trying to add legalism. He's not saying that what we do or don't, or don't do, that's not what... Um, what makes us righteous before God. But, but Paul does make the point that the law that God gave us was intended for good. There was a purpose behind it. And in, in Galatians 5, 14, and 15, we see Paul tells us what that ultimate purpose of the law was. 
he says the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law is, is fulfilled in keeping one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, all the laws that God gave ultimately were designed for, for the good of the world, for the flourishing of the world. Now, I did some research this week. Uh, many of you probably know, um, or how many of you could say how many commandments Moses gave the Israelites on Mount Sinai, or when he came down from Mount Sinai? Ten commandments, right? Um, well, I looked up this week, do you know how many total laws there were in the Old Testament that the Israelites had to follow? Someone said 600-something. Yes? I think 613. That's what I, I might be wrong there, but that's what I found. Can you imagine how exhausting it would be to follow 613 laws? Like, if I gave my kids 613 laws, they would, they'd be like, what, what? yeah. Okay. But you know what I realized? I realized, so all these 613 laws, Paul is saying, we can boil them down to one, which is to love other people as yourself. And I realized that if, if I was given the choice, if I had to justify myself before God by following 613 laws or by loving people, I would have to try to justify myself by those laws. Do you know why? Because as hard, I don't actually think I could do it, but it would be easier for me to follow 600 plus laws than to force myself to love people, if I'm being honest right? Like if I tell my kids, you think about this, if you tell your kids, you know, my, my toddler will go and like bite my other child, and I can tell my toddler, go say sorry to your brother, and she can go say sorry to her brother, but I can't make her be sorry, and I can't make her love her sibling, right? Because we can't legislate the heart, and that is why the law ultimately is so broken and flawed, right? And so it's this, this recognition that as much as I could try and do all the right things, I still can't make myself love other people. And that's the whole point. We can't do it without God. And so Paul offers us this next solution so we don't live in this hopelessness of, of feeling like we're not able to love others what, like God wants us to. Paul says this in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Everyone say, walk by the Spirit. Awesome. You guys are, see, you're awake. I love it. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So again, we kind of have this tug-of-war thing going on, right? Um, there's things that we naturally want to do that maybe aren't, they aren't in line with God's heart, and then there's things that the Spirit wants us to do. And just... Paul lists off here a bunch of, like, this is not an exhaustive list, but some of the things that we might find ourselves wanting to do in our own flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, hatred, discord, dissension, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, envy. And again, we could go on and on. And maybe some of you are sitting there and you're like, oh, that, that one's not really me, but ooh, ooh, that other one. Like, I know for myself, a lot of times I come here and, you know, I can kind of hold in my, I can hold in my rage a little bit, you know, when I'm here and in public, I can look pretty, but it leaks out sometimes. My kids know, my, my husband knows, right? And I wish, I wish that when we said yes to God that we were just suddenly completely perfect and we never made a mistake, but we are going to wrestle. We're going to wrestle this whole life with some of these things. And it can feel a little bit hopeless, can't? 
Can it feel that way sometimes? Sometimes we just think, man, could I ever get past this? But Paul is making it clear here that there is hope for us because the spirit is stronger than the flesh. And if you'll notice, Paul does not tell us that we become a better Christian or that we, that we um, live by the spirit by trying harder. He's not, he doesn't tell us to just muster up some more self-control. No. What does he say? Walk by the spirit. Walk by the spirit. Because you know what? If we're led by the Spirit, we're not under the law because the law can transform our behavior, but only the Spirit can transform our hearts, our motivation. Only the Spirit can create love inside of us. So I, um, maybe you're wondering why I've got this up here. I I have two of my kids I'm going to have come up now, and they're going to demonstrate for you, I think, a little bit of what it might look like that we have the Spirit walking with us. I know. Come on. Give him a hand. All right. So I have, I have David. Some of you don't even know my kids. This is Charlie. Do you have the, uh, yes, in there. the bribes? The bribes that I got to get my kids to come up here. All right. So, David, I need you to put this on. All right. Or close your eyes. One or the other. You can't see where I'm going to put this. All right. And then I'm, I'm going to have you stand right back here. Right here. Okay. You know what? We're going to put that there. All right, so Charlie, you need to get David over to the bribery beverage, but you, you have to tell him what to do. Okay, but now that he found it, I'm going to take it back again, actually, because we got we to gotta do this one more time. All right. I'm gonna, all right, this time, Charlie. Charlie, I want you to help David find the drink again, but this time I want you to, you can't use words, so you're going to have to help him get there some other way. Yay! Thank you, Zephra. I'll get you a, a bribery beverage later as well. I appreciate you guys. Here. Thank you so much. Oh yes, that's for that's for you. You didn't have to find it, but hey, I know. Awesome. So I know it's a silly example, but I was thinking in the in the first case, Charlie represents what, what it's like when we're under the law, right? When you're living under the law and everything has to be about, okay, I'm supposed to do this, turn 20 degrees, right? Like like everything is about following some specific direction. And it becomes about our ability to, okay, how well can I hear what God is saying? How well can I interpret it? How well can I do it? And if I do it wrong, it's all on me and I'm screwing it up. And that's a lot of guilt and a lot of condemnation. And kind of, honestly, David, was a little frustrating 
trying to find that drink the first time? Maybe. The second case, though, is this example of what I think it looks like when we're walking with the Spirit, okay? The Spirit might still give us directions. Don't get me wrong. The Spirit might still tell us something or give us a command, but the Spirit is always going to be with us, to walk with us. Whatever the journey is, whatever the obstacles are, whatever the peril is, the, the, the Spirit is with us in our mess. He's with us in our process, and even when we make a mistake, He's there. He's with us, and it's a beautiful relational thing. And the even more amazing thing about the Spirit living in us and, and moving with us is that the Spirit actually begins to change and transform us through that relationship. It's this process that we call sanctification. Sanctification is this big word, but what it actually means is simple. It's, it's the process or it's the action of making or declaring something holy or the action or process of being freed from sin or purified. It's this process, this ongoing process. And so when you accept Jesus and you say, okay, I want to follow you, you have the spirit that lives within you, and he begins to actually, sanctification is kind of literally becoming more like Christ, becoming more Christ-like. And so 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18 would say that we're being transformed into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who's the spirit. Um, and really quick, I just want to, I want to contrast. We can't get justification confused with sanctification, right? Because we already talked about that. When we're justified before God, that's a one-time thing. God has already paid for our sins. He has already justified us, and we don't have to keep doing that over and over again, right? But sanctification is this ongoing process. We see it a little bit in Hebrews 10, 14, which says, for by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So this is the two sides, right? The first half of this verse says, we're justified. We're made perfect in God's eyes, right? But that second half of the verse reminds us that we are still being made holy like God. And that is the job and the work of the Holy Spirit. And the beautiful thing is that when we walk in step with the Spirit, the Spirit actually begins to like plant seeds in our lives seeds that grow into our souls and it creates this like garden that is beautiful that we never could have imagined or foreseen. And the Spirit, as he's planting things in our heart, those seeds grow to plants that produce fruit. And many of you probably have heard this verse, but Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? The Spirit begins to produce love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. When we belong to Christ Jesus, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Right? Just like David had to keep in step with Charlie when they were walking, right? This fruit that, that the Spirit produces if you notice, there's this, there's this um, part of the verse that says, against such things, against this fruit, there is no law. In other words, all the law is pointing us towards these fruits. And so when we live in the Spirit and we let the Spirit produce that fruit in us, we're living in line with the heart of God's law. And I think this is interesting, too, to point out. Like, I know maybe you've seen um, sh shirts that say, you know, choose kindness or, um, you know, be kind, uh, be kind to other people. I don't know how, there's different ways I've seen it. And I think the truth is we can all be kind. We, we could, right? And I think any kindness, just like any love, is a reflection of our maker, even if we don't, whether someone believes in God or not, our kindness is 
a reflection of his heart. But I really believe that maybe we're putting, it, we're putting it backwards, right? Because kindness isn't meant to be the thing we start with. It's meant to be the fruit of something else. It's meant to be a, the fruit of a, a change in our lives. And so for myself, I can tell you right now, I, I know for a fact there's people I do not want to love and God has enabled me to love them and it's only by his grace. But here's the thing. The Spirit wants to do this. He wants to walk with us. He wants to sanctify us and change us. But we do have a choice in this, right? It's not our job to sanctify ourselves, okay? Like, it's, it's kind of like open-heart surgery. You're not doing it on yourself. But you do have a choice whether you're going to participate in or resist sanctification. I do think we can participate in or we can resist sanctification. So I kind of want to close out today by talking about a few things that we might do to participate in the work that God's doing, to help um, to allow God to cultivate this beautiful fruit in our lives. So the first thing I would say is this, and this is, this is like just a few things I, um, I felt led to share today, but you might think of other ways um, to, to, to follow God in this way. But the first thing I came up with was to get to know God. If you want to be sanctified, if you want fruit of God to grow in your life, you have to get to know God. God is relational. Christ living in you is relational. Jesus coming as a baby was relational. The Holy Spirit changing us is in relationship, and so you can't cut that out of the equation. Last week, um, I met Tom for coffee, and if anyone knows me, like coffee and conversations are my, my happy place. I love it. Um, so I went to Daybreak Coffee in Glastonbury, and I walked in, and I see Tom, and I'm like, hey, Tom, Tom's always there before I am. Tom's, Tom's everywhere before I am, I think. Um, so I walk in and I wave to him, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you when you're waving to someone and there's someone standing between you and the other person and they think you're waving at them. So I had one of those awkward moments, and so this guy sees me and he sees me waving and he like looks for a second and then his face lights up and he waves back. And I was like, okay, like, okay, what do I do here? So, so then I like had to turn and talk to him and he said, are you Karen? And I said, you know, the people pleaser in me really wanted to be like, yeah, sure, I'm Karen, if that makes you happy. Um, I said, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, trying, I'm here to meet my coworker. Um, and and I, I, you could tell he was like, oh, okay, okay. Um, and I didn't know, I was like, was he, was he waiting for a date? What was he waiting for? I don't know. Um, so then I went and got my coffee, and afterwards I saw him still sitting there and still sitting by himself. So I said, hey, I hope Karen gets here soon. And he said, he said, yeah, you know, she's, she's a coworker, and I've worked with her remotely, but I've never actually met her in person, so I don't know what she looks like. And you know what's interesting? So I thought to myself, I'm like, how many of us have that relationship with Jesus? This kind of like remote coworker relationship with Jesus, where we like, we kind of, we know about, about him, we kind of work with him, like he asks us to do things, and we do the things. Um, but we, we don't really, we maybe have never actually like met with him over coffee, might not know what he would, if he walked in these doors, we might not even necessarily recognize him. And I don't say that as an indictment for all of you, um, as much as for myself even, is if we truly want to know God, if we want to follow him, if we want to let him produce fruit in us, we have to spend time getting to know him to know his heart, to know what he likes, to know what he looks like even. And I, I think we learn that as we begin to listen to his voice. 
I really believe that God actually is speaking to all of us. And probably, if we, it's so easy in our culture, I think, I think our culture is very good at drowning out the voice of God sometimes. But if we're still enough, we'll notice that God is already active in our lives, already speaking to us. And God wants us to know him as well as he knows us. And he's familiar with all of our ways. Jesus says that my sheep, we're his sheep, he says they know my voice. They listen to me. And listen, if you start to pay attention, you will notice. Sometimes it's a verse, but it might not always be that way. Sometimes it's that gut feeling that you have. Maybe it's even a gut feeling that told you, man, you maybe, maybe you need to go try out a church because your life, you know, you felt like something was missing, something was wrong, something wasn't working, and you were longing for something more. That's the Spirit. That's God. It might be that gentle reminder to not be sarcastic when your kids or your spouse or your sister is being hurtful. It might be the reminder my mom had this week to go and visit someone who was about to have surgery because she felt like she just needed to go check in with them. Sometimes God's going to speak to you in ways that are like really surprising just in the everyday moments of your life. I remember years ago, one of my kids was like, I don't know, I think he was trying to like untie a shoe and like the, the knot was stuck or something. And I remember like sitting there like as a parent, you're like, okay, okay. Like finally I said, listen, I can help you, but you just have to give it to me, right? You just have to give it to me. And I felt like in that instant, I felt God like next to me almost like chuckling like, yes, how many times, Carrie, have I been telling you I can help you, but you have to give it to me, right? You have to let go. And so if you begin to, to really pay attention, you're going to see that God is speaking to you through your kids, through, through someone that you meet at the store, through, through that time that you're quiet with him in the car. He wants to speak to you. He wants to talk to you. And the Spirit is not about condemnation, okay? When you hear the voice of the Spirit, it's not going to send you around in circles of guilt. That's not the Spirit. Even when God wants to work and challenge you, it's going to be in, this, in, a, in a loving way. And so I would just challenge you, if you, if you haven't already, try to listen. Listen for God's voice this week. Begin to get to know the God who already knows you. And the second thing I would say is we have to surrender our way. If we want the Spirit to produce fruit in our lives, we have to surrender our own way. Okay, and I actually, I almost had this first, and then I thought, you know, I actually think we had it backwards because we don't really trust someone we don't know, Right? So how many of us are going to surrender our way or our will to someone that we don't know if, if he cares for us? We don't know if, he if, if he's trustworthy. And so it's through getting to know God and knowing his love for us and knowing his promises for us and his faithfulness that we can begin to let go and surrender. But we have to do that, right? And it's a choice that we have to make daily. And just like when David and Charlie were up here, you know, like David blindfolded, he could have tried to drag Charlie around wouldn't have been great. He's, he might have fallen off the steps, right? But how many times in my life am I driving around in the car with the Holy Spirit gagged and tied in the back, right? Like, I'm going to go where I want to go. And so we have to remember to, to let go of what we want, let go of the way we want to go and the way we want to do it and let the Holy Spirit lead us. Marlena Graves um, is an author and a teacher. She wrote a book called The Way Up is Down. She says this, I'm learning that no matter how hard I try in any area of life, I can't channel God's grace in the direction I want it to go. God's grace carries me where God wills, when God wills, not where I will, when I will. She says, I can choose to go in the direction of the river of grace. It's a beautiful thought. I can choose to go in the direction of the river of grace or I can fight it and induce misery in myself and others. 
And I love how she puts it. She says, surrender really looks like this. She says, we do the next thing given to us in life. We learn a healthy detachment. We learn to listen for God's quiet voice and spot God's hand in the midst of the dizzying noise and the glittering neon lights of our consumer culture. We rejoice. We think on the good, the true, the beautiful. We learn to be where we are, to do what is given to us. Expect only manna for today or for this moment. I love that. I love the way she put that. Surrender, she reminds us, is hard, but it's beautiful. So we learn to get to know God. We get to know his voice, and then we surrender our way to him, right? And the third thing I would say is that we have to remain in Jesus and let him sanctify us. We have to remain in Jesus and let him sanctify us. That's really hard. I know we talked recently in a series about personalities, and my personality is like, let's go, 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 and let's do, 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 and I want to check off all my things. And God says, you have to remain in me. And that stillness is very hard for some of us. But Jesus says this in John 15, verses 1, 2, and 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, and this is another thing, right? This in line with this theme of, of God producing fruit. We all know, my, my poor little three-year-old has learned the hard way, that once you pick a flower out of the ground, it's no longer attached to its, to its stem and its roots, it's gonna die pretty quickly, right? And the same is true with us. If we, if we like try to detach ourselves from the vine and run off and, and do our own thing, we might, we might produce some amazing like artificial fruit, but it's not gonna be the real thing. It's not gonna be spirit-produced fruit, and ultimately it's gonna die going to wither and fade. But God says, if you remain in me, just remain in me, your life source, and I will allow you, I will produce in you this amazing fruit. Jesus reminds us that, again, it's about the heart, because we can do all the right things, but if we don't have love, we're this clanging gong, we're this resounding symbol. And Jesus also reminds us what's something I, I don't want to hear personally, but, but that discipline is part of of God's love for us. Jesus is going to, God is going to prune the vine. That, that's, it sounds painful. He's going to cut things off that don't need to be there. He's going he's to remove things, and it's not always going to feel pleasant, but as we allow him to do that, it's actually going to create a whole lot more fruit. And the beautiful thing is, Galatians 6, 8 through 9 tells us this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We will reap a harvest. And the, the thing is that as God produces this fruit in, it, in us, it, it, it multiplies, right? That's that light that shines. And so we go out and, and the, the fruit that we bear leads others to know Jesus, to come to him, to feel the spirit in their lives. And it's this rippling effect. And so the kingdom just keeps growing and growing and spreading and spreading like seeds planted everywhere. So today, I want to just end this. We're ending this series. I want to end a little differently than we normally do. And so the worship team in a second is going to come up here and we're going to sing this song called Oceans. And some of you may be familiar with that. And this song really, it's, um, it's this reminder. Just, it talks kind of about like even Peter walking out on the water and us surrendering to the Spirit and letting the Spirit lead. 
And so I would just encourage you as we sing this song, um, maybe, maybe you're, you're probably all coming from different places today. There may be some people who are here and you're, you're like, man, I just, I just said yes to Jesus and I just said yes to, to his work in my life and I'm excited to see where he leads, but I, I really don't know how to hear his voice and I want to just experience that. And my, my prayer for you would be that in this song, you would just sit and listen and just feel God speaking to you, even in a small way. Feel his presence here. And maybe if you're someone walking with God for a long time and this series has kind of sparked something in you and you're like, you know, man, the gospel, I'd, I have this, this fire again, this reminder of who God is and what his love does in my life. And you're like, man, I really feel challenged that God's like, I need you to go out. I want you to go out. I want you to listen to me and lead. Listen with my spirit. For you, I would just pray that this, that God speaks to you in this passage about where he wants to lead you right now, that this would become a prayer for all of us. So whether you, whether you sit still, whether you kneel, whether you, you know, um, journal during this time, whatever that looks like for you, I would encourage you just to, um, to worship as you, as you feel led. Um, but, just, but just this time, just sit and, and, um, and allow God's presence to flood over you as we sing this song. God, I want to thank you um, that you're here, that you're already here, that we don't have to strive to find your presence because um, you're, you're never far from anyone. And God, I know all of us, most of us, we, just, we, long, we long to follow you. We long to hear your voice. We long to know you better. And so my prayer as we go through this song, God, is that you would speak to each and every person in this room in a way that they would hear in the language they understand and that you'd lead us out, God, on the waters with your spirit. Amen.